Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Out front next, Zelensky's massive military shakeup at a time when U.S. aid to Ukraine has been declared, quote, dead on arrival. And Putin welcomes Tucker Carlson to Moscow with open arms. Plus a story you'll see first out front tonight, migrant smugglers on jet skis fleeing Border Patrol agents, making a mad dash for American shores. Wait till you see this footage. And tonight, King Charles diagnosed with cancer. Prince Harry now making plans to be at his father's side immediately. We're live in London. Let's go out front. And good evening, I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, Zelensky's major move. It could be more than the military commander-in-chief who loses his job in a massive shakeup in Kyiv, and it could happen at any moment. President Zelensky telling Italian broadcaster RAI, quote, a reset is necessary. I mean a replacement of a series of state leaders, not just in a single sector like the military. The word reset. A massive shakeup in Kyiv coming as Putin is trying to court the MAGA GOP in the United States. In fact, one of the leaders of the MAGA GOP is in Moscow tonight. It's the man you see here with the MAGA leader Donald Trump, Tucker Carlson. Possibly there in Moscow to interview Putin. Definitely there as a Putin-supporting celebrity. Just listen to how Russian state media is breathlessly celebrating his visit. Independent journalist Tucker Carlson has flown to Russia from the U.S. via Turkey to Vnukova Airport. He saw Spartacus Ballet at the Bolshoi Theater, had lunch in a nice restaurant, went for a ride around town, rode the subway. He charged his smartphone via a USB port and connected to a fast and free Wi-Fi internet. He charged his phone, although they're knowing the details about the fact that it was during USB port may give him reason to think twice about all of this. But look at them talking about him like a celebrity. Everything he does on camera, breathlessly repeated. Now, it is unclear if an interview between Putin and Carlson will take place. But if it does, it gives Putin a chance to sit down with a big supporter. It might be worth asking yourself, since it is getting pretty serious, what is this really about? Why do I hate Putin so much? Has Putin ever called me a racist? Has he threatened to get me fired for disagreeing with him? Does he eat dogs? These are fair questions, and the answer to all of them is no. Vladimir Putin didn't do any of that. I'll actually always remember watching that clip. I was standing in Ukraine 48 hours before the war began there. Well, Carlson then stood by Putin consistently all the way through. And that is why he can go to Moscow now without any fear of being summarily imprisoned. He's a hero. This was Putin's mouthpiece in the United States, somebody who had turned a blind eye to the atrocities committed by Putin because they were happening far away. Once vibrant towns turned to ruins, mass graves with dozens of bodies in the Kiev suburbs, a theater full of innocent women and children sheltering, bombed despite the giant world's children written on the roof, more than 200,000 Ukrainian soldiers killed or injured. And tonight, Putin is trying to seize on the fact that Zelensky's military appears to be in turmoil. 
capitalizing on a moment of intense American political dysfunction and intensifying strikes. Fred Plaikin is out front. He is live in Odessa in Ukraine tonight. And Fred, what more are you learning about this possible uh, major reset and shakeup by Zelensky? Hi there, Aaron. Well, one of the things that Zelensky also said is that he himself is actually still trying to work through the process of what exactly he wants to do. He said that government is a big machine, as he put it, that it depends on not just one person, but many processes, and that everything needs to be geared towards victory. Now, one of the things that the Ukrainians say they have realized in order to achieve that victory is that in light of overwhelming Russian firepower, they're going to have to depend a lot more on things like drones. We managed to film with a secreted Ukrainian unit using sea drones to attack and sink a Russian warship. Here's how they did it. It was one of the most brazen and most successful operations by Ukraine's military intelligence service. Sea drones attacking and the Ukrainians say sinking a Russian warship inside occupied Crimea. And he was one of those involved. His call sign is 13 from the elite sea drone unit named Group 13. So secretive, we had to hide his face and change his voice. We used 10 drones in the operation, he says. Six of them hit the Corvette Ivanovets. CNN cannot independently verify that the Ivanovets was sunk, but video provided by the intelligence agency seems to show the mini sea drones evading machine gun fire from the warship and then massive explosions. Their weapons are not designed to deal with such small sea drones, 13 says. In most cases, they use anti-ship guns. Ukraine barely has a functioning navy, but the Magura drones pack a massive punch, around 500 pounds of explosives. These sea drones might not look like much and they might not go very fast, but the Ukrainians say they've been extremely effective at attacking Russia's Black Sea fleet and even sinking warships. The main thing is to feel the drone, 13 says. Not everyone can hold a firm grip. If you squeeze a little, you can lose control of the drone. I would say it's like working with jewelry. Asymmetrical warfare, they call it, and the Ukrainians, outmanned and outgunned, say they need to do a lot more of it. After visiting the Southern Front this weekend, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky telling Italian media he not only plans to fire his top general Valery Zaluzhny, there could be a larger government shakeup. When we talk about a reset, we're talking about the reset of certain leaders of the state, not just one or another sector, because I'm thinking about reset, I'm in the process. A front-runner to become the new commander-in-chief, the defense intel boss known for brazen attacks against Russian military and infrastructure targets. The Russians are waking up at night to explosions, he says. Explosions in the air, explosions directly at the facilities. They see the real picture of war. They see burning oil depots, destroyed buildings and factories and so on. This is all beneficial. And the Ukrainians vow to continue hunting Russian military vessels in this battle of David versus Goliath on the high seas. And, you know, Aaron, one of the things that we've also seen in our time here in Ukraine is that the Ukrainians are constantly working to make systems like that more lethal and also to build more of them. They say that it's absolutely key to their survival, especially in light of the fact that they don't know if and when Congress is going to okay more military aid for Ukraine. Aaron? 
All right, Fred, thank you very much in Ukraine tonight. And I want to go now to Simon Schuster, author of The Showman, Inside the Invasion that Shook the World and Made a Leader of Volodymyr Zelensky, and the retired Lieutenant General Ben Hodges, who is the former commanding general of the U.S. Army Europe. And thanks so much to both of you. Simon, since we're here together, I know you've spent a great deal of time uh, with Zelensky. Did you have conversations about a shakeup? I mean, he is now not shying away from even getting rid of his top general, but saying it could be much bigger than that and a complete reset. Um, obviously, he, he must have thought through the risks of doing that and even how that could weaken his position vis-a-vis U.S. aid. Of, of course. He and his team have been going back and forth about this for some months. You know, ever since it became clear that the uh, counteroffensive of last summer and fall were not going to deliver the major breakthrough, we're not going to break through substantially the Russian lines and regain a lot of ac- occupied territory, they knew that somebody would have to... Uh, take the fall for that. There would have to be accountability and, and someone would need to, um, you know, they, they would need to, a, a major shift in strategy, a new team to come in and, and um, uh, offer something else, uh, make people believe in Ukraine and outside Ukraine that victory is coming, that there will be some kind of breakthrough. But they've been going back and forth because, as you said, you know, they realize how destabilizing that would be. The top general in Ukraine is extremely popular. He's mm-hmm. uh, revered within the rank and file of the military. So removing him could be politically dangerous and militarily dangerous for, for Zelensky. And yet it appears that he's, he's going ahead with it, General Hodges, now not only not shying away from it, but referring to it as a total reset, including much more than firing uh, General Zeluzhny. So what effect does this have on the war? Well, you know, a, a soldier needs to be able to look up uh, the chain of command and see very clearly who's in charge. Uh, and in a democracy, of course, you have civilian leadership, uh, and then the military is under the civilian leadership. I think that, uh, of course, it is President Zelensky's prerogative to get the commander that he wants, that he trusts. And uh, no matter how good or how popular General Zeluzhny is, and I have been a, an admirer of his from the beginning, the fact is, if the president has lost confidence in his top uniformed advisor and commander, then he should sack him immediately. And General Zeluzhny, any general, um, once they realize that their civilian boss has lost confidence in them, they should offer their resignation immediately. What's, I think the fact that this has gone on for so long has actually been much more damaging than if the president had said, hey, thanks for your service. You saved Kiev. We're going into a new phase of the war. Time for new leadership. Right. And of course, uh, the firing didn't happen immediately. And certainly uh, the resignation uh, did not did not come either. So, Simon, look, Putin is clearly in this moment uh, seizing this moment. Right. Um, Quoting the MAGA GOP, uh, this this Tucker Carlson celebrity welcome. I mean, oh, my gosh, he charged his phone via USB port. Um, So the bill, though, that the MAGA GOP is shooting down had 60 billion dollars of Ukrainian aid in it. How does Zelensky plan to handle this? I mean, no doubt he's seeing what's going on in Moscow and this big, you know, propaganda fest. That is a a big warning sign for President Zelensky of what is to come if uh, President Donald Trump, former president, is reelected and returns to the White House. You know, they've they've seen the writing on the walls. They see that this is a real risk for them. Uh, Donald Trump has, has not been shy about saying what he plans to do. He's indicated quite clearly that he would cut off aid completely. And, and as you said, he's been encouraging his GOP allies to, to do that uh, sooner rather than later. The Ukrainians are not sitting idly by and waiting for that kind of eventuality. They, they are hedging against it by producing more of the drones that we saw in your reporting just now, uh, producing other weapons, uh, ramping up artillery production, uh, missiles, 
to do more of these kinds of uh, you know over the top attacks. Yes, you have a static front line that doesn't seem to be moving very much, yep. but you can still uh, launch attacks uh, by sea and by air that are very dramatic and, and hurt the Russians to show that that Ukraine is still fighting back; it's not giving up. Which they certainly have been doing and aiming at at Crimea, General Hodges, which I know you have said they uh, they, they should have been doing since the beginning had they had the right weaponry. Uh, and on this front, General, they boosted military defense production. In December, Ukrainian officials said that mortar shell production alone had increased 40 time, 42 times, I'm sorry, over the 2022 production levels in Ukraine. Now, obviously, it was very low to begin with, but still, they've been trying to improve it. You heard Simon refer to the drone uh, production. The Netherlands today is going ahead saying they'll send six additional F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine. But still, General, amidst all of this, that $60 billion stands out there, right? Ukraine has depended on U.S. aid. If that aid ends, and most of it, obviously, it's, it's been in the form of actual weapons themselves, right, whether it be tanks or anything else, that aid goes away. What actually happens, General? Well, the, the worst part about the failure of the United States to deliver what we had planned to deliver is the message that sends to the Kremlin that uh, the United States is not going to help Ukraine and that they can uh, move forward with their own designs about expanding this war or, or however they're going to prosecute it against Ukraine. That's that's the worst thing. And then, of course, the message it sends to others about the reliability of the United States, um, I, this, this is very damaging. In practical terms, we don't know exactly what's already in the pipeline, how much is still to arrive. Um, and as you point out, many European countries understand that uh, this is about their security as well. So yeah. even if yeah. and if the U.S. fails, the threat to them gets even worse. So they will have to step up. All right. General Hodges, Simon, thank you both very much. And next, there is breaking news on Capitol Hill. A critical meeting on the border bill is happening right now behind closed doors, about to break up. Uh, and it is crucial, obviously, related to this aid as well as the border. It comes as we get a firsthand look at how border agents chase after migrant smugglers on jet skis heading to American shores. The pursuit's coming right to us right now. Come on this way? Yeah. Plus, breaking news, a deadly and historic storm pounding California, an entire month's worth of rain falling in one day, and there is more coming. And China's economy uh, tanking, its stock market plunging to a five-year low. But wait until you see how Beijing is spinning this. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number Smart Beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number Smart Beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Breaking news, Senate Republicans are about to wrap up a meeting about the newly released border bill that the House Speaker has said is dead on arrival. 
This meeting comes amid mounting GOP opposition to a bipartisan bill that Republicans say is one of the toughest border security bills in decades. Former President Trump is trying to sink the bill himself, calling it a, quote, death wish for the Republican Party. Manu Raju is out front live on Capitol Hill. And Manu, this bill could be falling apart just hours after it's unveiled. I think it's fair to say that would mean most people who are shooting it down have certainly not bothered to read it. What more can you tell us? Yeah, right now behind closed doors, the House, the Senate GOP is meeting. I mean, growing opposition within the ranks and expectation now that the bill will not be able to clear the 60 votes needed to advance the United States Senate because of that mounting GOP opposition and some concerns and opposition from the left as well. But on the GOP side, there is also tension with the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, who has said that this bill is dead on arrival and frustration among from the top Senate GOP negotiator, James Langford, coming in the aftermath of some comments that Johnson made, saying that they were essentially, the House was, in Johnson's words, essentially shut out of the talk, saying that they were not allowed to take part in these Senate negotiations. I put that question directly to Langford, and he pushed back. In the earliest days, we sat down and talked about it, told him what we were trying to be able to, uh, to do. And he said, hey, this is the Senate and the White House trying to be able to work it out. The House has already spoken on this. We're working on trying to be able to get everything else together. The House has spoken. The Senate needs to be able to speak. And then we'll see if we can actually align bills. So we've kept them loosely informed. But from the very beginning, they said, hey, this is not our product. House has already created a product. Because he said yesterday that he's been shut out. Of these times. Yeah, we definitely didn't shut him out. He asked to not be included from the earliest day. So we didn't shut him out in any ways, in any way that he or his team wanted to be involved in it, they could be. And that is much different than what the speaker said just yesterday. He said that he said that he would they asked to be part of it. He said he urged committee chairman in the House to be part of these talks. And he was told, quote, no, 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 let the Senate take care of it. So you're seeing just a difference, an opinion on the, among top Republicans in both chambers. But that won't change the underlying issue here, Aaron, is that the votes are not there, certainly in the House to proceed. And it's growing increasingly likely, not in the Senate either. This entire national security package could collapse amid GOP infighting. Aaron. Manu, thank you very much. And as Congress descends into this infighting and finger-pointing, the migrant crisis at the southern border, there's no signs of stopping. David Culver has a story that you will see first out front on the growing trend of illegal crossings into the United States by sea. Hours before the sun's up over San Diego, we get on board for a rare look at border security from the Pacific Ocean. It's gonna be four to five foot seas out there, so okay. uh, we're gonna be getting tossed around. We plan for a few minutes to get set up. Which way would you prefer the antenna? It doesn't matter, oh, you're gonna But off to the side, we notice the crew already getting word of movements on the water. Just key just passed. I follow them to the drop so that they can see where they can maybe try to apprehend on our side. Something's up. There's a boat headed towards Sunset Cliffs, so just on the other side of this. Suspected migrant smugglers are about to make a drop. 200 yards offshore right now. Suddenly, we're zero to 60. On the water, that is fast and cold. Can't go through the kelp, we'll get stuck. This is a side of U.S. Customs and Border Protection you don't often see, and for good reason. With Border Patrol on land, these agents handle the skies and seas. They're part of AMO, Air and Marine Operations. It's going to be just off our starboard beam 
heading right for the beach. And what does it sound like, a boat or jet ski? They don't have a visual of it, so all they know is that there's a radar contact eastbound right behind us back here. Headed our way, so they kill the lights, and we wait in the dark. The pursuit's coming right to us right now. Coming this way? Yeah. After a few minutes, still nothing. Seems the suspected smuggler on a jet ski turned back. There's a lot of them coming, so we're, we're, we're constantly busy. What we see at the southern border on the land crossing, people coming right up to Border Patrol agents wanting to surrender themselves. You don't see that here. People are trying to get away from you as quickly as possible. A lot of times we're getting people that don't want to be caught because they carry criminal records, they're uh, members of gang. And then you get family units too that are, that are, the smugglers have convinced that this is a safe and easy passage. In the past year, the agents say it's become increasingly deadly, but like drug trafficking, migrant smuggling is a business. They're reckless with their lives, they're reckless with other people's lives. Do we know, Kurt, are they, are they connected often to cartels? Do we know their background? At a smaller level, yeah, this is all cartel driven. They often launch in the dark of night, leaving from various points along the Mexican coast, once they cross the maritime boundary line, the ocean's border separating the U.S. and Mexico, the smugglers usually head to the beaches of San Diego County, where they drop off the migrants. Though more recently, they've ended up cruising even farther north, to places like Malibu. You can actually see the boat right here, just sitting on the shore. Just before 2 a.m. Tuesday, officials say roughly two dozen migrants scattered from this boat as soon as it hit the beach. Border Patrol was able to detain 19 of them. The rest, somewhere in Malibu, more than 130 miles from the southern border. And if you look closely, you can see some of the remnants of what was a long journey. I mean, up here you've got food wrapper left behind, some cracker remnants. You've got orange and banana peels. Then you've got trash bags in there. A lot of the times the migrants will wrap themselves in those trash bags to keep warm. Even some leftover fuel canisters. Hours later, Another beach landing. A videographer in La Jolla captures it from the surf. Watch as this boat runs ashore. You see several suspected migrants then hop off. They sprint towards the beachside homes. CBP says they're still searching for them. The boat left stranded. Officials tell us the number of incidents along the southwest coast is up threefold over the last five years. And they say migrants like these often pay tens of thousands of dollars for a one-way ticket on the open ocean. And you'll have people, Captain, actually try to swim? They often do it at night and under fog. And sadly, it's tragic. Some of them don't always make it. That's where the Coast Guard comes in. We join them on a deterrence patrol positioned just north of the maritime boundary line with a view of the southern border I'd never seen before. And then right there, that's all Mexico. Pretty much right in front of us, yeah, it's Mexico. The Coast Guard here focused primarily on keeping folks alive. To do that, you need to keep the lines of communication open. There really are no egos amongst the yeah. different organizations. Yeah. We all speak on the same frequency. Um, so when you, when somebody gets notified, we're all notified at the same time. Off your 350, uh, 28 nautical miles, that's where he's at, off your 350. That frequency also shared by the CBP's air assets, watching and tracking from above. Yeah, David, so when, when we do detect a target, I hook it. So the system is now tracking it. And, and we, we get everything down here, right? The coordinates, where it's at, how fast it's going. That information relayed to crews on land and sea. They have to be prepared for anything on the water. And you're doing that at night, pitch black, six foot seas. It can be very uh, challenging. 
Moments like these, where boats filled with migrants rush towards the shoreline, a near nightly occurrence now. Over the last three years, we've seen an exponential increase in maritime smuggling. They don't understand fully the peril that these smugglers are, are putting them in. It's the callous nature of their operations and how they just don't care about human life. We spot another team about to take off just as we touch down, forecasting the smugglers' schedules and routes impossible. So the agents work all hours. Living in the dark does kind of wear you out, so yeah. now it's kind of nice to get a little sun now and then. Physically, emotionally, securing our borders, especially on the ocean, takes a toll. But there are perks, like clocking out at sunrise. Yeah, it looks pretty. My favorite time of the day. It's phenomenal reporting, David. I mean, I just... It's riveting. Um, and to look at how hard uh, those Border Patrol agents are working, as you say, all hours, uh, no sleep, the toll it takes on them physically, uh, mentally, yet no end in sight. Uh, this bill, uh, which obviously <laughs> doesn't look like it has a chance of passing right now, but uh, did you get a chance to understand from those uh, Coast Guard officers, Border Patrol officers, what they think that the bill would mean uh, if it did pass for them on the sea crossings? Aaron, when you talk to those agents, I mean, any sort of added resources are, are certainly welcomed. But what's really interesting, whenever you see a potential shift in policy from the U.S. side, is what we see south of the border. And our reporting down there has always shown that there is a motivation then to try to cross quicker and more efficiently, if they're able to, anytime there are suggestions that it's going to be tougher to get through the land crossing. So if, and it is a big if, as you point out, and as you and Monty were talking about, this legislation comes to fruition, then yes, that is something that could potentially help on the land crossings, but it could add more pressure to the folks who are monitoring these oceans and determination and desperation to come by sea. All right. Well, it's really, really incredible and incredible what they said. Family units uh, right now, obviously, but also as you were talking to some of those agents, right. uh, some criminal contingent as well, uh, taking the risky crossing by sea uh, because they, they can be more evasive that way. All right. Thank you so much, uh, David Culver. Next, King Charles stepping back from his royal duties after announcing he's been diagnosed with a cancer. Prince Harry now planning to travel home in days to be by his father's side. We'll take you live outside Buckingham Palace tonight. Plus, breaking news out of Los Angeles this hour. Officials are bracing for devastating landslides. More than 10 inches of rain have drenched the area and more is forecast. Tonight, Prince Harry is about to return to the UK to be by his father's side as Buckingham Palace announces that King Charles has been diagnosed with cancer. The palace releasing few details except to say that it is not prostate cancer. The 75-year-old monarch canceling all public duties as he begins treatment. It comes just one week after the king left the hospital. He had gone to be treated for an enlarged prostate. Royals correspondent Max Foster begins our coverage out front with new details. Buckingham Palace announcing that King Charles III has been diagnosed with a form of cancer, just over a week after undergoing a corrective procedure for a benign enlarged prostate. The palace outlining that during that procedure, a separate issue of concern was caught, resulting in the diagnosis. The type of cancer hasn't been specified, but a source tells CNN that it's not prostate cancer. The statement released by the palace revealed that the British monarch has already commenced a schedule of regular treatments and announced that he'll postpone public-facing duties as advised by his doctors. 
Monday's statement also saying that Charles decided to share his diagnosis to prevent speculation and help spread awareness for those affected by cancer. The King will also continue state business and official paperwork as usual as Head of State, with CNN hearing that he'll continue his weekly audience with the British Prime Minister. CNN also understands there are no current plans to appoint councillors of state, which refers to designated members of the royal family who had delegated the monarch's duties temporarily if he becomes too unwell. The public would be told if that were to change. The diagnosis, less than a year into Charles's reign, also becoming a moment of unity for the royal family. CNN is learning that Queen Camilla is preparing to play an important role during this time, continuing her full programme of public duties. Kensington Palace also announcing earlier in the day that the Prince of Wales would return to public duties this week after taking time off to support his wife, Kate, after recovering from her recent abdominal surgery. Meanwhile, Prince Harry set to fly back to the UK in the coming days to visit his father. The family, despite their fractures over the last few years, coming back together amid this crisis. There has been a long-running custom for royals not to reveal their private medical details, and the palace uh, protects that fiercely. Uh, but King Charles does seem to be taking a slightly different approach. He's worked with cancer charities for many years. He wants to raise awareness around uh, what cancer sufferers go through. Uh, and I, I have had an indication tonight that Charles may at some point choose to reveal exactly the cancer that he does have. But right now isn't the moment. All right, Max, thank you very much in London tonight. And out front now, Dr. James Eastham, the chief of urology at Memorial Sloan Cancer Kettering, Kettering Cancer Center, I'm sorry, and Trisha Goddard, British journalist and talk show host who has covered the royal family extensively. Uh, good to be with both of you. Uh, Dr. Eastham, let me start with you. January 26th was when King Charles first went to the hospital about 10 days ago, and he was very open. It was going to be uh, treated for an enlarged prostate. Uh, they had anticipated there would be no issues with that. Indeed, it doesn't appear that there, there were. Uh, he says it is not prostate cancer. Three nights at a London clinic. Uh, now we are told he has cancer. What does it tell you that the cancer was detected during a procedure like this? I mean, the procedure was a large prostate, but it's not prostate cancer. Correct. So... It tells you that sometime during his evaluation, whether it was prior to his surgery with imaging or during the procedure when he was undergoing evaluation, um, primarily looking at the prostate and the bladder area, that something was identified. Um, it seems to have been um, a surprise, meaning not something expected, um, and then it's now being dealt with. And, and so it could be, so you think it's something that would have been in that area, so who knows what it could be. It could be bladder or something else. That, that's what you would come into contact with with an enlarged prostate. Correct. Um, yes. And, and, and something like that, if it is that and you detect it at this point, is there any way of determining how serious something like that could be? Well, that will be determined primarily by the pathologist and imaging studies. Mm -hmm. um, not all cancers carry the same risk. And depending upon the type of cancer, how invasive or hopefully not invasive it is, that will guide prognosis and management. 
So, Tricia, what are your sources telling you about how serious this may be? I mean, obviously, the world gets a signal that Prince Harry, who's estranged from the family, is now headed back to the U.K. in days to be by his father's side. Uh, That says something to most people. Well, I think any parent um, getting cancer, your children want to be there. And remember, it's it, it's the kind of like the last straw that broke the camel's back. Let's look at the, what the royal family's been going through recently. The Duchess of York, first of all, had breast cancer and then discovered she had melanoma. And then there was uh, Princess Catherine being in hospital, having an operation. And now his father. It's kind of now is time to come home. And I think that's natural, whatever the prognosis is you hear the words cancer, you want to be by your family member's side. So, Dr. Easton, in terms of the the timing here, uh, 10 days ago he went in, three nights at the clinic. A week later we're told he has cancer and he's stopping official duties and beginning treatment, Um, which, you know, there's no kind of pause. They're not talking about a surgery. Uh, They're using the word treatment. Um, What does that say to you, the fact that it's immediate? Um, and does that sound like some sort of chemotherapy type of thing with the way that we're, they're presenting it? It can be a variety of things. Uh, cancers can be treated with radiation therapy. They can be treated with uh, immunotherapy or chemotherapy. Um, not all of chemotherapies or immunotherapies are whole body treatments. If it's in the bladder, for example, it can be just a topical treatment, meaning instilled into the bladder for a period of time. Mm-hmm. So again, there's speculation, but there's a variety of different ways in which, uh, you know, things can be treated these days. And, and Trisha, about two hours before this announcement about King Charles, the palace had announced Prince William would return to public duties earlier than had yes. been anticipated. And obviously that that's related to this. Uh, you know, he was taking time off uh, because the Princess of Wales, Kate, uh, is recovering from obviously extremely serious abdominal surgery, and she's expected to be out until Easter mm-hmm. as she recovers. We, we really just don't know anything about her condition or what she had at this point. What do you make about the lack of transparency about her health? I think it's very different for a 75-year-old uh, man and a young mother, uh, a comparatively young mother. I think, you know, we can't draw anything from that, but we do know that she wants to protect her children. Remember, her children are still going to school. And I think when you're younger, when you're a mum, it's very, very different. Uh, King Charles as well, we don't know uh, when they say they wanted to stop speculation, his treatment, if, for instance, it is chemotherapy or anything like that. They probably want to stem fears or rumours that might start with regards to his appearance, for instance. With Catherine, we really really don't know. I, I, and I think, you know, just just think a young mom, you want to keep things quiet. Your kids still have to go to school. All right. Well, thank you both very much. We appreciate it. And interesting, Max Foster's reporting that uh, King Charles, uh, he's getting uh, indications that he may at some point share more about his diagnosis, uh, given that he has mm-hmm. been uh, obviously fought uh, a long time uh, against cancer uh, in terms of his charity work. All right. Thank you. And next, breaking news, Southern California drowning under 10 inch of rain. Uh, that is a year and a day. Rivers overflowing their banks tonight. Uh, more forecast and landslides likely to come. Plus, China's stock market nosediving, but the Communist Party doesn't want the Chinese people or the rest of the world to know that. So, the numbers be damned. Wait till you see what the Chinese government is doing. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. 
At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Tonight, dramatic new video of the aftermath of a massive mudslide that crashed through a Beverly Hills neighborhood. The streets now filled with mud, cars trapped, an historic storm is pounding Southern California. The L.A. River is now raging and overflowing its banks. As you can see, there's a very real risk now of more landslides like the one that you're seeing here in the Hollywood Hills, a home totally swept off its foundation. Veronica Miracle is there out front. Catastrophic flash flooding, leaving a path of destruction across many regions of California. Let me be clear. This storm is a serious weather event. This has the potential to be a historic storm. Nearly 40 million people under flood watches, a state of emergency in place for eight counties with evacuations in some areas. On Sunday, Los Angeles experiencing its wettest day in nearly 20 years, more than a month's worth of rain in 24 hours. Prompting high water rescues, three people plucked from this tree after escaping their flooded car. Vehicles stranded, some completely submerged. And for LA, it's nowhere near over. Parts of the area are forecast to receive close to half a year's worth of rain by Tuesday. The storm also bringing widespread hurricane force winds to parts of the state, including the central coast and Bay Area. At least one person has died due to high winds after a tree fell on him while he tried to clear debris from his home in Northern California. In Santa Cruz, residents woke up Sunday to a mess. I don't remember a storm since we've lived here where we had so many trees come down. All of the neighbors here have no power. On Monday morning, more than half a million people faced power outages, others contending with the mud. This is the foundation. This is where the house sits now. And that's the culprit. The National Weather Service warning of numerous damaging landslides in Los Angeles County, along the Santa Monica Mountains and adjacent foothills. We were in the house, my wife and I, and it, it was like, like it sounded like a plane crashing or maybe of a freight train or something like that. Just boulders and mud. All from an atmospheric river slamming into Southern California, moving at a snail's pace. Parts of San Diego reeling again after just getting back on their feet after a storm two weeks ago. This is all hands on deck, but we could use a break from Mother Nature. Aaron, just an incredible amount of destruction here. Take a look at this car behind me, jammed up with logs and mud and rocks. Now, the neighbors and city workers have done an incredible job cleaning this area up, but take a look up there. You can see massive boulders. Those came barreling through the back of this house, through that garage. If I step back just a little bit more, you can see where this came from the top of that hillside. The threat here for all of these communities remains. Aaron. Wow, Veronica, thank you very much. It's incredible footage uh, to show. And next, a revolt. Thousands of Chinese trying to get around communist censors. They're defying the government, which is actually right now trying to erase any evidence of a plunging stock market. Wait till you see this. Plus, breaking news, Nikki Haley now requesting secret service protection because of threats. 
Tonight, China's stock market tanking overnight, dropping to five-year lows, trillions and trillions erased in value. But you wouldn't know that from the China state media coverage. Beijing state media publishing a headline this saying, quote, the entire country is filled with an atmosphere of optimism and positivity. But these words are being mocked by some Chinese people there, tens of thousands flocking to the U.S. Embassy's social media account in Beijing, calling out the Chinese government. But those comments were already scrubbed tonight. I want to bring in our senior international correspondent, Will Ripley, in Taipei. And Will, the Chinese stock market has been plunging. Uh, Massive value erased, and yet you get that headline. I'll show it again. The whole country is filled with optimism. Um, That propaganda, though, is backfiring. What can you tell us? Well, that optimism certainly doesn't uh, seem to be shared, Aaron, by the 160,000 or so social media users who flooded that U.S. Embassy Weibo post on Friday. Most of the comments, this was a post about protecting wild giraffes, but most of the comments had absolutely nothing to do with animal protection. They were unrelated to that. They were talking about the economy. They were talking about their economic woes. And those comments were scrubbed by censors, but not before we got a few screenshots like this one that says, Who can save me? I've been unemployed for so long and I have debts. Or another one uh, that said, you know, this message was directed to the U.S. government, Aaron, saying, please help us run our stock market. I want to go to the U.S. We know that China is in the midst of a real estate downturn, Aaron. Uh, High youth unemployment, record high youth unemployment, massive deflation happening right now. So this is the whole backdrop of this stock market slump with the major indices plunging 10 percent. People seeing their life savings evaporate before their very eyes. And they're trying to call for help to the U.S. Embassy on social media and having those comments erased. I mean, it's incredible. And will you talk about scrubbing those social media comments? Uh, You grabbed screenshots before uh, before they did that. Uh, But we're looking right now at what happened. Uh, just as you and I started speaking, um, they censored this conversation. So uh, the show was being broadcast uh, in China. It now is uh, on bars and tone there. Um, It is pretty incredible to see that, right? They're watching. They see you. Come on, start talking about this. They go to bars and tone. Um, But Chinese citizens are finding ways around this, maybe not specifically here with our broadcast, but around this to get information. How are they doing it? So what people do to get information from the outside world, some people have a VPN and so they can get around the big firewall and they can access and read news from news sources like CNN. They can even watch live feeds on the Internet. But most people in China uh, may not have access to a VPN, but they still want to vent their frustration online. So what they've developed over the years is basically using sarcasm and euphemisms. Like, for example, on that Weibo post about giraffes and protecting giraffes, they were making fun of that state media headline, Aaron, saying the entire giraffe community is filled with optimism. They were talking about the economy, making fun of the government. Right, right. And and using uh, giraffes as the proverbial fig leaf. Incredible. Thank you so much, Will Ripley. And next, breaking news, Nikki Haley now asking for Secret Service protection. We'll tell you why. Breaking news, Nikki Haley is applying for Secret Service protection. It comes as Haley has had a heightened security presence around her for the past week. Her campaign says the request is because of threats she's receiving from taking on Trump. Thanks for watching. It's time for Anderson. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. 
now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.